step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hello, everybody. Today's guest on the U.S. Sports Podcast with Max Whittle, founder of the New York Giants UK fan group, Keith Burton. Welcome into the eighth episode of the US Sports Podcast with me, Max Whittle. Thank you for all your support so far. I really mean it. Uh, we've had a lot of listens on Audio Boom. Thanks for downloading and subscribing on iTunes as well. In the last week or so, the NFL has played a game in Mexico. Chris Tapps Porzingis has shown why he might be one of the top five players in the NBA soon. And there's no getting away from this. Phil Jackson, he's got to learn to get with the times. Some of his comments, disgraceful. We're going to get into the posse comments. I didn't have a chance to speak about it last week. Switching it up a little bit, though, this week. We're going to do our top four storylines at the end of the show. Uh, so the guest comes first, Keith Burton. We're going to talk Giants, Eli Manning, Beckham Jr., Roger Goodell, of course. I always seem to talk about Goodell. Josh Brown and the saga with the kicker that's no longer with the team. And the International Series, what the Premier League could learn from the NFL. And, of course, Keith's crazy, loyal fandom. Let's get to it. Back on the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle, joined by Keith Burton, founder of the New York Giants UK fan group. So how does a Londoner get into NFL? You are a big Giants fan and we'll get into everything else later, but how does that happen? I think, I, I remember watching NFL in the 80s and I remember watching the, watching the Giants, but it was, it was when it was on Channel 4 and it was time delay. We were watching highlights. So we were basically watching a virtual match of the day, but three weeks later. But <laughs> come, the, come 2007, you know, obviously the Giants come over, the international series begins. A good friend of mine called Annette said, look, NFL is a great thing to get into. You know, all you guys, because we're all part of a group, it's like pick a team and it'll help you get into the game. And, you know, I'd, I'd been to New York a lot at the end of the 90s, and the beginning of the 2000s on business. I loved the city. I loved it as soon as I went. And when it came time to pick a team for the NFL, there really was only one choice. You know, the team with the history, one of the one of the charter members of the league, ostensibly. You know, there wouldn't be an NFL without a, without a team in New York, without the Giants in 1925. And, and since then, we've had one family own the club. It's a classy team. It's a classy organization. It's uh, it's had success spread evenly across its entire history. You know, it's not all bunched together in one place. Uh, it's just a great sports franchise. You've got that history. You've got that the romance of playing at Yankee Stadium. You've got the 60s and 70s where there's just one losing season after another in horrible stadiums made of damp concrete. And then you have the renaissance in the 80s with players like Lawrence Taylor and Carl Banks and Phil Simms you know, carry on right through to today with, you know, Hall of Fame coach like like Tom Coughlin and, you know, great players like Eli and then, you know, players like Odell, you know, arguably the most popular player and the most high-profile player in the league at the moment. Can't believe you didn't pick the Jets, though. Come on. Well, our Lodgers... <laughs> um, now, there really is only one team in New York. But when you when you looked at New York though as a as a as a possibility or as a choice, yeah. really, did you ever did you ever think about the Jets? I kind of looked at it, but I mean, again, I've I've always had a thing about the color blue, the royal blue, um, and they are the team with the history. I mean, I am someone who enjoys history. I did. I've ever since childhood, I've loved reading history, researching history, learning history. And the Giants are the team that have just got nine a century's worth of history behind them. So no disrespect to our lodgers, but, but that's really what they are. <laughs> that's what they are, and uh, you know, fair play to them. But but it, it's 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 the Giants for me all the way, and I've never regretted that decision through through good times and bad. The Giants are a team that, that you know they're not going to panic because remember all the losing seasons that we've had recently. Other teams would have gone to hell in a handbasket. It would have collapsed. 
There'd be firings all over the place. You'd have players fighting with each other. You'd have players on social media ripping into each other. You know, Tom Coughlin and, and the Mara family kept that team together through losing season after losing season. And when no you matter... hear about Coughlin, though, just on that, you hear about how he used to be such a crazy coach in terms of shouting at his players, degrading <laughs> guys in practice, and suddenly something changed and then you won two championships. Well, he, he talks about his wife and Judy in glowing terms. And he mentioned her again last night at the Ring of Honor induction. And I think she's the one who actually told him, look, why don't you show the players, the Tom Coughlin, that your grandchildren get to see? You know, firm but fair and nice and smiling. And I've seen the behind-the-scenes footage where, where he would be at training and he would be taught walking up to players and he'd be asking them about their tattoos and he'd be, he'd be asking them about their children. Or if their wife was sick, he'd be saying, look, don't worry, leave your mobile phone with me. I'll keep it in my pocket. If it rings, I'll come over to you. And that's when players like Michael Strahan, you know, he began to treat his players, cherished players, you know, he cherished them, same as always, but he began to treat them like his children as opposed to troops on a parade ground. And I think great coaches can change. Great coaches have to change with the times. What do you make I of he, what do you make of McAdoo then? Uh, your new head coach Ben McAdoo. What do you make of him compared to Coughlin? Who it was weird because he was he was actually close to going joining the Eagles and I, going to the same division, the NFC East. That would have been first of all very strange, and it just looked like Coughlin was ready to retire. And I I didn't want to see him go back into coaching, and you know at his age and everything else that he's achieved. But what do you make of the transition so far? It's been interesting. I felt early on, the first two or three games, when there were discipline problems on and off the field, it felt as if he was still kind of being looked on by the players as the offensive coordinator. But it feels like once we got through that, that, that difficult sort of slew of games where we lost, you know, there's three games where we lost, but then we had the Ravens game and the London game, and he seemed to be exerting his authority. There didn't seem to be a problem anymore. And then, then we come down to where we are now, last couple of games, where he's dropped people like Larry Donnell and he's scaled back people like Victor Cruz and he's brought in young players that, that probably never played under Coughlin and begins to reinforce the team or enforce you know the team to be his team. I think that's very interesting. He's We're obviously watching a, a, a coach grow on the job, but I think he's he's growing very quickly. And I've been impressed by him. Like you, I was sad to see Tom Coughlin go. The guy, the guy's a legend. It was part of the reason to stay up to 4.30 last night. I wouldn't have cared at halftime if we were 30 points down. I was not going to go to bed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be there. I'm going to watch Tom Coughlin, who was a coach and a man I greatly admire, get inducted into the Ring of Honor. And it, it's also great that we had members of our group actually in the stadium posting photos at the time as this was happening. This is a, that's a real moment in history. I, I was sad to see him go. Arguably, it probably was the right time. I think so. I mean, yeah, yeah there was a no, not many teams after the 2011 championship. Not many teams will struggle that much after a championship, and that's that's the weird thing about the Giants and why it must be frustrating and great at the same time to be a fan of them as you are, because. Eli Manning can throw a game away just like that. Odell Beckham Jr. can win a game or lose a game just like that. And Tom mm. Coughlin had this strange run where he wasn't really getting anything out of his team for four or five seasons after that championship. Eli Manning was very inconsistent, but still the team stayed with both of them. Do you think it's that consistency like Pittsburgh do it as well? They stay with their guys as to why it's been moderately successful? I think so. I mean, I... I Challenge of contention that, that they didn't achieve anything with Coughlin. I think the seasons would have been even worse really? if he hadn't held the team together. Yeah, because there was a real chance that the team could have flown apart. You mean after 11? Like, 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 yeah. Well, they gradually got worse and worse. I mean, the O-line is the root of the problem, and it still is. But I think Tom Coughlin, at least until last season, was able to hold a losing team together and make it six wins or seven wins, where perhaps it could have been three wins or four wins. You know, and we could have been witnessing a meltdown, a public meltdown, which didn't happen. I felt last season that we came close to that public meltdown. I think Tom Coughlin of Era's past, when Odell was losing it on the field, mm. would have taken him off and would have sat him. I mean, you and I have spoken about this before. 
that, that Tom Coughlin of previous eras, a disciplinarian Tom Coughlin, not quite perhaps so desperate for a win, would not have left Odell on the field against the Panthers. He'd have sat him for a few plays and said, I'm not letting you back on the field until you get your head together. Yeah, you're referring to the Josh Norman game last season. Yeah, exactly, yeah, th- with the Panthers, yeah. Do you think then that, that was maybe a very good instance of where the, the, the guys upstairs said, look, we need to go, we need to move on. We need, even though we've seen this season, Beckham went off the chain again, off the rail again, and Ben McAdoo did nothing about it. But do you think that was an example of where Coughlin was done, pretty much? I, I say it was one of the things. It was no one thing. If it had been a winning season, it wouldn't have mattered, I don't think. But it, it wasn't. There were a number of things, and that was one of them. I think the Giants, the Mara family, care very much about the reputation of this team. Uh, there's this wonderful story earlier in the week, I don't know if you saw it, about uh, uh, you know Bobby Johnson, the player getting his Super Bowl ring back. For after 30 years, the Mara family went and got it for him. I didn't see the, that. The, it's, yeah, we'll, we'll go through it later in a bit if you want, but it, it's the Giants... The Mara family care about the Giants' reputation. And that Odell thing, that's the first Giants player in 91 years to be banned for on-field conduct. When you consider some of the, some of the, some of the monsters we've had on the field, you know, they, they never got banned for on-field conduct. And yet, here's Odell Beckham being banned. That, that hurt. That hurt the, the reputation. And it, it was a number of things. It was also patently the fact the team was getting worse and worse. Uh, again, I can't blame it all on Coughlin, but he also made some very weird calls early in the season. You know, backing off from 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 uh, courageous plays, the type of plays that, like last night, McAdoo went with. You know, we're behind, fourth down, we're a few yards from the end zone. To hell with it. Let's not kick a field goal. Let's go for it. The kind of plays that win you games. If he hadn't done that, we probably would have lost. We're talking about rep- like caring about the reputation of the team. You know the Josh Brown scenario where your kicker is is domestically abusing his wife, and it happened at the Pro Bowl as well last year. And the Giants, a lot of the organisation, or I say a lot of them, some of them knew about it. What do you make of that as a fan? Because this all happened before you get you came to London, and you had to mm. Rob, Robbie Gold came over to kick for you against the Rams at Twickenham. So. How did that go down with you personally? Because I, I feel like a lot of responsibility should be taken from the Giants and it hasn't at the moment really... It's kind of gone quiet. It's strange, isn't it? I, I felt... Obviously, when you learn the truth of what he did, you know, he raised his hand to his wife, at which point, zero tolerance, lose your job, straight and simple. But the details seem to leak out in an odd kind of way that, that it was domestic abuse, but it wasn't physical so we weren't quite sure what was going on. And I also felt the Giants got a bit tangled up with the NFL front office as well, with Roger Goodell's office. It's like, you handle it. No, you handle it. And it's like, you know, Roger Goodell, John Murray, you're both two of the most important people in the NFL. Get your heads together and work out who's supposed to be doing this. Because, yes, this is not the kind of thing you expect the Giants organization to do. You know, if this was a basket case franchise, and I'm not going to name names but we all know who the basket case franchises are this 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 is the kind of mix-up you would expect from them this is not the kind of mix-up you you expect from one of the senior teams one of the charter teams you expect them to be able to handle this in in a professional manner Uh, especially you know with the giants along with a number of other teams are very closely linked to domestic violence charities in the new york area You expect them to, okay, let's go and talk to some experts about exactly how we should be handling this, you know, rather than just go off half cocked. You know, I'm happy that they didn't immediately just just trial by media. Something's been alleged. Let's fire him. But there came a point where he he was allowed to stay longer than he should have been. But the thing is, they they, Goodell brought in this new six game suspension, right, for any mm. domestic abuse and. Josh Brown got was it a one game suspension? So got a, yeah, everyone was everyone was, and I'm 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 really frustrated with the NFL and how they deal with everything that's gone on. In terms of that, in terms you go back to the Ray Rice thing. Now you go forward to Donald Trump being elected president and what the NFL have said compared to leagues like the NBA, where you have got Rex Ryan, you know, openly voting for him, Richie Incognito, Bill Belichick writing a letter to Trump, Brady had the hat, uh, let's make America great again. You know, <laughs> yep. the NFL don't do it right, and they continue to make mistakes, and and this is yep. this is another one of them. Exactly, they do make mistakes. I mean, 
they're not perfect, like any organisation. There's no organisation on the face of this planet, sports league or not, that that doesn't make mistakes. Pretty much on a on a on a you know weekly or or yeah on a weekly basis. And the NFL is not perfect. I mean, it's that um, I think they do a lot. I think they do a lot of things wrong. Um, the you know the Josh Brown situation is a perfect example. It does seem to me as though they seem to have got the impression that although Josh Brown was guilty of domestic abuse, it wasn't a physical abuse. Therefore, should we ban him for six games or not? That's where you get the mix up. Roger Goodell or John Mara should be saying, "Hang on, let's be consistent here." Yeah, if domestic, it's Ray Rice, yeah. six games, it's six games. And at, at which point, of course, he's a kicker. It's not like it's Eli Manning. It's a kicker. He gets a six-game ban, you bin him and get somebody else. And I don't know, yeah, you're right, because I don't know whether that makes a difference, whether they could have said, oh, he's a kicker, we'll just give him one game, or whether you say, oh, he's a kicker, so, you know, he's expendable, let's just give him six games. But domestic violence is domestic violence. Whether you exactly, yeah. whether you stick your partner outside in the freezing cold and, and lock her outside, whatever it is, you don't have to physically hurt, abuse them. It's, uh, it's difficult. Um but on that point, I had an assignment for the last NFL game in London this season, which was to basically ask fans outside the stadium what they thought of Roger Goodell, uh, mm. whether off-the-field issues have affected their NFL fandom. Um, and I got the first two people I spoke to were basically saying, I don't like Goodell, I don't think he's trustworthy, um, I think he's very topsy-turvy with his decision-making. But then I went to the next 15 or so people who all said, difficult job, you know, tough role. He has to deal with a lot of players, a lot of owners. I was surprised that there was so much positivity. What do you What do you make of Goodell and how it's run at the moment? I'm I'm completely in the second camp. Wow. This okay. Is, this is a completely impossible job. You've got how many How many players in the league? What? Well, fifty what, t- fifty three times. How many teams? Thirty two. Yeah. So. Some, somebody told me it was like seventeen thousand or something. I don't know. It's it's a, a large amount of very young, rich men hyped up with aggression playing a professional sport that he's got to govern. He also has to deal with billionaires, temperamental billionaires that are used to getting their own way. Oh, and let's not forget supporters from around the world. Now, I don't know about you, but it, it, to me, that's, that's next to an impossible job. The fact that the guy is still sane and the NFL still functions, is tremendous credit to him. And not only that, he's pushed the NFL into new areas. Controversially, and probably, he was probably, the international series, he was probably like a lone voice at the beginning with that idea, that that if we're going to expand this game, we have to expand abroad. There would have been people saying, you're mad. There would have been players and owners saying, what? Why? Why take it abroad? But you know what? He's pushed it through, and the first few games were curiosities. But now they're an obsession. You know, you and I were at Twickenham the last time we spoke, remember? And look at the, 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 the fan support that was there for the Giants and all the other teams. You know, and you've, you've obviously been to Wembley at least once this year as well and seen the same thing. It's no longer a curiosity. It's a passion. I think Goodell is doing... He's not perfect. He's made mistakes. But I think he's doing a next-to-impossible job. And I, I don't envy him. And I kind of admire most mm-hmm. of the stuff he's done. I know he gets flack for, for, especially from Patriots fans, but you know what? Well, in that case, you know, he went after he went after one of the NFL's biggest stars and most important figures, and we've seen that even more this year with Manning retiring. And he essentially went all the way to try and win that case when he deals with things like Josh Brown and Ray Rice completely the opposite of the way that he you'd think he would, as common sense goes. And also this envy thing. Well, he makes. 40 million a year so even though it might be a hard job I would suggest that he he should be at least better at decision making and also his press conferences the one some of the deflate gate press conferences were embarrassing they were some, yeah you know some of the stuff he came out and said so I, I think while you're right and it is a very difficult job and I and I think not enough blame goes to the players who a lot of them are very violent people I still don't think Goodell manages it as well as it should because the when I see the NFL badge now I see, I see negativity. I see abuse. I see lies. You know, and, that, and that's mm. not right, is it? No, and and you don't want that kind of that kind of whiff, that kind of smell to be around the NFL. Um, I think Cadell is is. It seems to me he's more happy behind the scenes than he is in front of the camera. I think when he is thrust in front of the camera or thrust into making 
public decisions, it almost seems like he 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 kind of wavers or, or jumps too quickly or sometimes kind of just delays and doesn't make the right decisions. I think he's probably someone who's far happier behind the scenes, but that that, that isn't this that isn't this kind of job. But you know, realistically, uh, the mistakes that he's made, I still think there are more pluses to what he's done than minuses. Um, your cornerback, one of your cornerbacks, Eli Apple, which, by the way, fascinating name. <laughs> Start first. It is, isn't it? First. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> even before the draft, there was all sort of Eli Apple. He's got to go to the Giants, hasn't he? Surely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Did you see uh, his yeah. mum's uh, his mum's article on Sports Illustrated? She basically wrote an open letter. Um, she'd been abused, you know, growing up. Um, yeah. as a woman as a wife and it was it's a really fascinating read if you haven't read it go read it and um, and Goodell actually met with her I think about a week ago now so he is at least you've got to give him his credit as well he's done that yes I mean she's she's great I mean she's 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 very forthright she's got she's become a celebrity in her own right uh, and of course on this on this particular subject she can talk with authority and she can talk with with moral depth and with certitude because she knows what she's talking about. Uh, I'm glad that Roger Goodell met with her and I'm glad that, that, that the NFL women in the involved in NFL have got a strong voice like that. Moving you know? on to better, uh, better, more positive things. The NFL is going to play in Mexico uh, against well, it's Houston against uh, Oakland. And yeah. by the time this podcast goes up, the game would have been done. So I don't know how it's going to go yet. But what, what I will ask you is, are you hoping that this doesn't go as well as London because you are a British NFL fan and you want to see... I know that it's not going to stop coming over here, but in terms of a long-term prospects of a franchise, bloody bloody blah for London, what do you hope for with the Mexico game? Uh, I hope for it to be incredibly successful. I hope for it to, to catch fire just like the London ones have. I, I want this league to be stronger. I want this this sport to grow. Not at the. I don't think it needs to grow at the expense of anything else. It's not an either or. You know, you often there are flame wars on forums with different sports and different fans. You know, oh well, I don't like this because I like rugby or I like I like soccer. And it's like it's not an either or. You can watch them all. It's not a problem. I hope it's going to be a success in Mexico City. I think it probably will be. I think it's smart to send somebody like the Raiders, who are obviously. They're a marquee team now. I mean, as much as they've been a, a, a punchline for the last few seasons, they're on the rise now, and they have remained for 30 years uh, a famous name. Uh, I think it's... And obviously, they're, they're not that far away from Mexico City geographically compared to some of the other teams. No, the NFL so, actually, it's like, it's really streamlined almost because, you know, you, hear, you said it at the top of the show about the 80s and how it came over here on TV. Apparently yeah. in Mexico, it was on TV in the 60s and it boomed in the 70s. And you've got Steelers, Raiders, Cowboys, I think, are the three most popular teams there. So mm. similar similar way of trending, but just a bit earlier. Uh, like you mentioned, the logistics of that. 15 NFL teams are within a four-hour flight of Mexico City. So I'm looking at thinking, well, there are obviously issues with Mexico City and then the Trump thing doesn't help. Um, <laughs> but it, on the eye, it looks like... It looks more. It looks simpler than London, right? It does. Yeah, same as Canada. You know, because they're basically all in the same time zone. It, it, it's going to be much easier to host games in Mexico and eventually in Canada. You know, uh, I think a, a Canadian game could become a regular thing as well. And I, I see no problem. I, I don't see why that would mean that London would lose games. I don't think it will. The amount of uh, investment the NFL has put into London and put into Tottenham's new stadium. They've not done that to just reduce the amount of games. What are you hearing about next year? I've heard, obviously, we know that it's going to be uh, Saints-Dolphins is one of the games, and then the Jags will, I think, play two games next. Yeah. And then we don't know the teams. There's been some There's been some rumours that the Ravens might be a new team, but I, I, don't, I don't want to see the Jags anymore. Unless <laughs> unless Gus Bradley UK gets fired do. and they figure it out, yeah, the UK the, UK the, fans do. Yeah, true, but I, I'm not sure why at this stage. Well, it's just because they're into the Jags. I mean, I was uh, on re in Regent Street, you know, this 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 past you know this year, and there were a lot of Jags fans there. People have invested. There were kids in Jags memorabilia. There were grown men in furry Jaguar suits. <laughs> you know, NFL is an occasion as much as it's a sport. I don't think that many UK fans actually even care that the Jags are, are you know, 
often, if not always, lose in the UK, although obviously they didn't this time. Uh, I think they just they just enjoy being Jags fans, and they, obviously it is also the most franchise most likely to move over here. I think if you took the Jags away now, there'd be a lot of crying children. So uh, <laughs> the Jags are definitely going to come over. I would, to me, I heard rumours about it being four games next year. Uh, that would be interesting. Yeah, there's four I, games. There'll be there'll be four games. Uh, yeah. Two for the, but what I was going to ask you was, is there a point? Because you you you've been following this since it began in '07. Is there a point where the games become so bad that eventually this wave of optimism and excitement about the games goes down? Because I, I had a gr- I had a great a very funny quote from cousin Sal on uh, a podcast, and he compared the Jags Colts game to Brexit Part Two, and that was before <laughs> the game. Um, the Yanks obviously don't think much of the scheduling in London and, you know, we've had a couple of good games, but what do you reckon about that? Well, to be honest, I enjoyed that Jags-Colts game. I mean, it took a while to heat up, but once it got into the fourth quarter, I think, it really did heat up and it had a, it had a good finish. Uh, to me, it didn't seem like they had any problem filling the stadium or any problem selling tickets. So as long as there's bums on seats, I don't think... Because we only get four games... You know, fans are just going to come and see them anyway. Yeah, I don't. I don't think honestly we. I know it's gone beyond now being a curiosity. It actually is. People are coming to games and they're being knowledgeable. But it is still an occasion. It is like almost like a like a convention for sci-fi fans. You know, these tailgates are like our comic con. So <laughs> I don't honestly think we mind who we're going to watch. I really judge I mean, it on quarterbacks. I mean, I'm excited that Drew Brees might be here next year, but I always look at the quarterback of that team. So recently, the Ravens don't seem like a very exciting team to watch. The Jags, oh God. Blake Bortles. Don't get me started on the Ravens. They've given all the money to Joe Flacco. You know, Joe Flacco signed this huge contract. Hooray. Well well done, Joe Flacco. You're going to be a wealthy man. Well, he and you've also now ensured that you're never going to win anything else ever again because you're taking all the money. True. Uh, it's... I've I've heard I'm being told from the message boards that the Ravens game that it will be the Ravens to come over and it will be a home game against the Packers. Really? Oh, yes. Which? Scoot. Yes, that, that would that would be insane. The amount of Packers fans there are in this country. Well, you see the cheeseheads everywhere, don't you? Exactly. And I mean, my girlfriend's a Packers fan. She's South African. Oh wow! So I mean, she chose the Packers because it's the Springboks colours, the yellow and the green. Yeah, that's a that's a huge uh, that's a huge pickup. Packers. If it were to happen, yeah, if it were to happen, and I'm, I'm being told on the message boards that this is what this is what Ravens fans have been told that this is the game you expect to lose, the Packers game. Uh, it would be huge, and I've got her to promise that she's going to wear a cheese head uh, <laughs> when she goes. You know, that's good. At least, except it would be better two years ago because I think the pa- the Packers are flailing somewhat, and if you give up thirty plus points to Tennessee. Then, but anyway, it's still the Packers. It's still Aaron Rodgers. I, I like still I said, always exactly. look at the quarterback. Um, we talked a lot about Odell Beckham uh, a couple mm. a couple of weeks ago before the Giants Rams game. Would you go for a beer? Would you like to go for a beer with Odell? You know what? At the moment, yeah, I would. That guy's, <laughs> that guy's playing with a smile on his face. I just check that, yeah. Can we just clarify that you said no about six weeks ago, whatever it was? Yeah. Yeah, six weeks ago I said no, and I'll, I'll freely admit to it because at that time he appeared like an angry, frustrated young man that was as likely to punch me as he would shake my hand. But you know what? I also remember saying at the time that I thought that was transitory, that it, it was it was something that he would get over and it would be something that was forgotten. And I think I've been proven right in that. Yeah, he's certainly calmed down. Uh, before the London game, it was all about the engagement to the kicking nets, headbutting the kicking net, you know... Yep. And then he scored that winning touchdown. I forget who it was against, but he threw his helmet and ran down the sideline and nearly cost his team. And um, But his numbers are terrific. Got another touchdown against the Bengals. In dealing with him around that game in the media, you could just tell that he carried himself as a superstar. You know, he came into the press conference room with his bag on, his red shoes, and he asked, you know, he asked the journalists, got any questions? Because everyone was kind of silent, almost you know, yeah. in awe of him. And he was, yeah. there was a really poignant moment where all the journalists had gone into the press conference room. And for some reason, I just stood by the practice field. I don't know what I was expecting to see, but there was loads of kids at this Play 60 event and Odell was still there and he walked past them and they were all shouting, Odell, Odell. He went over there and he high-fived them all. And it was just like, these are, these are British kids and they are yeah. obsessed with him. 
Yeah, they, he's one of those sportsmen. You know, he's, he's like a Kobe Bryant. He's just a sportsman that even if you don't follow the sport on a day-to-day basis, and even if you're in another country, you know who he is. And I think we're seeing who he really is now. The, the Twickenham game was important because he was injured. He was playing hurt. And he still went out and made big plays. And you're right. I think as as you know, when we spoke, it was before the Twickenham game. And I think I remember saying something along the lines of, you know what, being away from the New York media, being in London, may actually help him. May actually take some of some of the steam out of the out of the press coverage that he's been getting. And you know what? I think I think it works. I think he came over here and it wasn't about Odell melting down. It was all about Odell the superstar. It enabled him to hit Control-Alt-Delete on his season and, and restart again. But you know what it is? Because your answer kind of sums up the way that NFL fans are. And it's not. it could be a fickle response, really, because if Odell Beckham is not performing on the field, then all of his tantrums are magnified. Recently, he scored touchdowns. He's got a lot of yards. He's made great plays. And, and now you're saying, <laughs> it's not just you, but now you're saying you go for a beer with him. So do you think it's because he's performing well and you kind of ignore everything else or something else no I, I think i think his his brain was in the wrong place at the end of last season the beginning of this season but that's not who he is he's back to playing as he was when he first joined the team he's playing with a smile on his face and whether he's whether he's scoring a touchdown or whether he's just making a catch whether he's going for 100 yards or whether he's just making 10 yards in a game he's now playing with a smile on his face and he's playing as part of a team now it has taken, you know, a trip abroad to do it. It has taken both his coach and, remarkably, Eli Manning to publicly call him out. And I don't recall Eli ever really publicly calling out a fellow player on his conduct before. So that was why it was a big deal. But he's back to being the Odell that we remember. And I think coming across here kind of reminded him that, you know what, NFL is fun. He spoke about NFL not being fun anymore. Do you remember? <laughs> yeah. When he was when his mind was in the wrong place. He spoke about NFL not being fun. And that anymore. was his fault, by the way. He was making it not fun for himself. Yeah, exactly. But then, you know, he he's a young man. You know, he, and you're right, he had made it hard on himself. But coming over coming over here, being treated as superstar. I think he liked kind of, that. I think he I, Yeah. I think it really it really made him see that he is you know, not a global figure, but he's internationally he's got international fame. Um, and on that point, do you see any similarity between him and David Beckham? Is it just the name or anything other? The name obviously invites comparison, but I think there are parallels. In, you, know, you and I have spoken about this before, away from the podcast. I think there are parallels because you are talking about, a, 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 in David Beckham, you talk about a figure that that was able to become so famous that he was able to, to, to push association football into the US and to make it a success. You know, it, it the sport followed in his uh, footsteps. He was able to, to increase its profile upwards and to the point where we now, where we see MLS is a big deal in the US. And I think there are similarities that with Odell Beckham is that some people will know the name Odell Beckham like they know Michael Jordan and will then have to think a little bit about, oh, hang on, what sport does he play? That in, in, in Europe, if you're not following American sport, you may well have heard the name Odell Beckham and not be aware of the team he plays for or even the sport he plays. And he's got a good decade in front of him, barring injury. So I think his, his, he will only become more successful. He will only become more famous. And that can only be good for NFL pro football. Yeah, and I remember you uh, compared his one-hand catch to Beckham's half-line, halfway line goal against Wimbledon. Uh, they both had similar hair back then as well. Um, they did, yeah, ridiculous, yeah. Finish this. But then I'm just jealous, <laughs> aren't we all? Um, <laughs> finish this sentence for me. The Odell Beckham Jr. New York Giants relationship goes horribly wrong if Odell starts listening to the wrong people and stops listening to his teammates and the Mara family. And how much of an impact would that have when Eli retires? Do you think he'll still be a giant by then? Oh, I think he will be. I think they'll want to tie him up and keep him with the team for as long as they possibly can. You're talking about a guy who will probably become one of the, if not the outstanding receiver in the league. Remember, he's still so young. Yeah, He's got, he's got so much of his future ahead of him. I think... It only goes wrong if 
if he starts listening, if he starts becoming a celebrity, if he begins to think that Odell Beckham the celebrity is more important than Odell Beckham the sportsman, but there's no reason why that why that should happen. I'm hoping that there's a lot more uh, of Jerry Rice in him than there is of Randy Moss, mm. who yeah. who are two players that I would I would say had roughly similar skill sets. In fact, Randy Moss was quicker than than uh, than than almost anybody bluntly, but something got into his head. And he just didn't didn't become the player that he should have done. Yeah. Absolutely. Whereas Jerry Rice was like, I'm the first player on the training ground. I'm the last one to leave. I will spend my off days running up hills up and down in San Francisco to just be the best that I possibly can. And he always had his head in the right place. And I think he's in the right organization. Again, I, I, I keep coming back to what, why I admire the Giants organization. I think it's, 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 it was formed by the Mara family and by Tim Mara, a man who... who took his moral duty to his players very seriously stemming from his time as a bookmaker you know always being a fair bookmaker and that has carried through to successive generations and this is a sensible organization sometimes people could call it quite boring you know we don't have cheerleaders uh, you know we we, we we play in wood paneled uniforms if we could we're quite traditional we're quite old school but that's a good organization for this type of player to be in that's why no one watches the Giants because no cheerleaders. Um... <laughs> well, uh, the fact, Odell being popular, of course, means more more primetime games, which means more staying up till four thirty in the morning for UK fans. You need something so to entertain you at that time. Um, well, yeah, <laughs> but, you know, you know what I mean. Um, we, we, we've said to UK to US fans before that that's how you show you're you're really committed to the NFL that you stay up till four thirty in the morning to watch your team lose. Oh yeah, it's it's a great way to start the week. So even though that was Monday night, <laughs> so, Sunday night you're in you're in work after two hours kip. Um, I, I feel like there's a there's still something that we 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 laugh about Eli Manning. We we can't take him that seriously, even though he's won two championships. People will say in the more serious stratosphere here that, you know, he would never be a Hall of Famer if he didn't have two rings. Other people say, like, he's always lived in the shadow of his brother Peyton. Um, I feel like Eli could throw away a game at any moment or win a game at any moment. But is it there? Is there a sense with you and around the team that Eli is still not taken as seriously and this also takes into account his demeanour on the sidelines? He shows absolutely no emotion. Um, what do you make of the perception of Eli Manning? I think there is something to the, the perception that, that some some fans don't put him in the same stratosphere uh, or the same you know the the, the 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 same level as as the what we call the elite. Uh, but you know what, living in his brother's shadow, you know what, just about everybody lived in Peyton Manning's shadow. Apart from Tom Brady, there's there's no one that really matched Peyton Manning at his at his height. Uh, Eli is a very different character. I would say that Eli, to me, I I think. He's far more similar to, to Brett Favre than he is to his brother, in that he is prone to making lunatic gunslinger type throws when he's put under pressure. Now Favre could laugh them off because he's a square jawed, typical jock. You know, looks like a looks like a superhero, and he can just laugh them off and slap a guy on the arse, and you know that's it. It doesn't matter. Eli Manning is a bit gawky, he's a bit looks a bit like Stan Laurel, and it's harder for him mm. to kind of... There's a lot more Clark Kent than there is Superman about Eli Manning, just the way he looks and his demeanour. Yeah. He's naturally, I think, a quiet, reserved type of guy. But if you look at his stats, if you look at where he is on, on, on the table of, of all-time passes, all-time uh, comebacks, he's in the top 10 of all these stats NFL in, in NFL history. His, his, I know Ben McAdoo said stats are for losers, but you know what? Eli's not a loser. He's got two Super Bowl rings, and he wasn't a passenger on either one of those journeys. That is true. And he, but he's, oh. no, he's no Michael Strahan, though. He couldn't go into daytime or morning TV when he retires. I can't see that. No, that's, that's not who he is. He, if you see some of the footage, there's been some footage recently of, of a documentary about his brother where Eli features obviously quite prominently. And Peyton's trying to give and a serious interview, and Eli's just munching crisps very noisily <laughs> in the corner. That's, and he just looks innocently at him and says, like, I've got to have something to eat. And Peyton's going, really? You've got to do that now? Uh, but he, he is a joker. Mm. Well, you see um, that in their adverts. The, together, they make quite a funny team, don't they? Those commercials are great. Yeah. 
But to me, Eli is a lot more like Brett Favre. And put under pressure, he will make insane throws. And no player is perfect. Not Peyton, not even Tom Brady. Nobody's perfect. Eli, I think, has a weakness in that if he is put under pressure, if, if, if uh, uh, which happens a lot because our own line at the moment is not good, mm. uh, if he's put under pressure, he will panic. And he will either... Uh, throw the ball away needlessly when actually he could have probably made a play or he will just try and air it out down the field into triple coverage. Well, it happened against the Bengals because I, I think he's actually better under pressure when he's behind. Like, if you look at the Super Bowl wins, whereas if he's ahead and he was ahead by one point against the Bengals, he just chucks it up. He just throws it up and then he looks at himself like, yeah. what, what have I just done? I've done it again. I know, and the funniest thing was, is of course, that, that Tom Coughlin was in the commentary booth when that happened, being interviewed. And his his reaction was just what did like, he say? Uh, he was like, "Oh come on!" <laughs> I've seen this. You know, before. it was like he was back on the sideline for all this talk about, "Oh, I work <laughs> for the NFL," and yes, of course, I watch what the Giants do in in the corner on the monitor. But I'm looking at all the teams. That, that was Tom Coughlin, head coach of the New York Football Giants, right there. He was he was being so placid and talking about his family, and then Eli did that, and old competitive head coach Tom Coughlin came out, and you could. I, I couldn't see the expression on his face, but I damn well could imagine what it looked like. <laughs> you know? Uh, but that's what happens when he's put under pressure. But you know what? When the real pressure is on, when it gets into the playoffs, when the Matt Ryans and the Andy Daltons and the Tony Romos fade and they crumble, mm. that's when Eli Manning steps up and is counted, and not just once but twice, all the way through those runs. Who, Remember, we who, were the would road warriors. who would you rather have, though? If you, if you redid the draft, because I know Eli was, in, was going to San Diego, but he didn't want to go there. Um, yeah. Would you, if you look at the careers of Rivers and Eli, and you took away the rings, who do you think has had the better career? And I know it's it's hard to say take away the rings, because it's everything. But I know, but if we look at regular season stats, then we'd... Uh... Eli's putting up better numbers than Philip Rivers has done. Now, again, I, with Philip Rivers, it's a case of, okay, well, it's the players around him. But the quarterback is the captain, the quarterback is the leader, the quarterback, the, the team assumes the image of the quarterback. You know, the quarterback's personality shapes the team. You know, the Giants, we are consistent. Sometimes people will call us consistently boring. We always have the same formation and offense. But, you know what? We get to win games. And I, Philip Rivers, to me, the jury's still out on him. And if you put a gun to my head, I'm sorry, I'm taking Eli again. Yeah, well... Not, 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 not to decry <laughs> Philip Rivers. And you know what? I'd also, I'd also take Eli over Ben Roethlisberger as well. Because I know the three are always obviously coming through the same draft class. They're always compared. I'd take Eli over Big Ben because... There's too much of a swashbuckler in Big Ben. There's too much of a sort of John Wayne, oh, I'll go and do it myself and get clattered. You know, and then Roethlisberger's out for game after game after game and costing his team points by doing that. I'd much rather safe, predictable, boring Eli than, <laughs> than, than Superman Ben Roethlisberger or, or crazy Philip Rivers. I'd much rather just safe, predictable, R shuck, Stan Laurel Eli Every Said time, like a true Giants fan. <laughs> he was going to get you over the finish line, you know? Yeah, he will. Every every four years, he will. Um... Every four years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he's done it twice, you know, which is twice more than, than some other quarterbacks that, that we're told are better have, have managed. True. And, yeah, who else Who else is better? Who else would you, would you could you put, I can say arguably Aaron Rodgers, but then look at the Packers at the moment. You could say Big Ben, but then... In a, in a division like the NFC East, Ben could be injured literally every season for half a season. Yeah. You know, this, the, the NFC East is a co massively competitive division. If you took the Giants out and put us in another division, would we have more Super Bowl runs? Would we have more playoff runs? Because the, the NFC East is consistently, it's whether the quality is up or down, it's the most competitive. Yeah, yeah that's it true. It goes down to the last game, you know? I was glad you said that because some, some years you could win it with seven wins. Uh I just want to say before you before I let you go, um, a couple of things. You wanted to bring up the technology of the NFL. You said you've recently got back into football, which is not a so surprise to me because your Chelsea have started winning again. Um, but you <laughs> it think... was a little bit before that. <laughs> it, it, was, it was last season when they were struggling a bit more. Uh, yeah, Chelsea, yeah, 
Chelsea have been a, a, a boyhood passion uh, like from when I was a boy at the end of the late 70s. Uh, and But it, it recently got... Re- I drifted away from football completely. But the financial fair play rule, again, which mimics something that, that we have in the, the NFL, albeit not to the same standard, and the fact that Leicester City can win the Premiership, it looks to me like, hey, football's interesting again. And it also took a good friend of mine to remind me by basically marching me at gunpoint down to Stamford Bridge, just how close the bridge is to where I live. But it's been interesting to contrast the way NFL and Premier League are presented. The NFL, the NFL, I think the reason, another reason why the NFL has caught on with British fans and fans around the world is it's very easy to be an NFL fan. You have an NFL app, a Game Pass app, and there's an app for your team. And through there, you can get every live game. You can get all the games recorded. You can get highlights. You can get games banked for the last five years. And you've got a 24-7 NFL Network TV station. Contrast that with the Premiership, which is, it's hard work following the Premiership. Yeah. There is no, there's no Chelsea app. There are for some teams, not for very many. The Premier League app doesn't include streaming games. There's no way to get every live game. Exactly. I can watch yeah, some you... games on Sky Sports. The otherwise, I'm I would have to break the law to well, watch streaming thing, games from another country, if you... which is ludicrous. And if you live in the states, you can watch every Premier League game because it's on NBC, and you can watch it on your phone. But that kind of reality, it would seem weird if we could watch 3 p.m. games here on TV. Like you said, you have to go for the stream. But also, there's the access of apps, like you mentioned. The apps are so good, and you you can go across the board and watch highlights. Whereas Premier League, because of the rights and everything else, you can't. You have to go to maybe the Beeb or Sky is basically it. it it's, it's tough, yeah. I mean, my day job is uh, I'm a technology advisor, an innovation consultant, so technology is a passion of mine. So it's been very interesting con- to contrast the two ways of presenting things. The NFL is I can have live or recorded games, live or, or recorded highlights, whenever I want them, wherever I want them, on any device on my Apple TV, iPad, Mac, iPhone, anywhere I want them. You know, other devices are available. Uh, <laughs> with, 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 the, with the Premier League, it's like, okay, the Chelsea website, obviously there's no app, the Chelsea website, and I'm, it's the same for Liverpool, Manchester United and everybody else, has highlights of all the games in every competition, but not till about 24 hours afterwards. Mm. Absolutely. The Premier League app, it just really has tables and fixtures in it. Yeah, it's, it's, contrast that with the NFL app and the Game Pass app. It's they're I not all doing it right though in the change. US. The NBA, uh, the new NBA website is awful. If, if you have, <laughs> they're, they're not all doing it right, but I I, I understand what you mean. Um, I I wanted to give you a chance as well to talk about the Giants fan group you've got going in the UK and you know how it's grown and 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 give a shout out to all your all your uh, social feeds as well, and we can we can plug that. That's very generous. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, we, we in 2009, when, when, when I, I kind of seriously got into, like, I, I want to do more than be a Giants fan. I, I want to see if there's other fans out there. I started this little group on Facebook. I thought it'd be about 20 Giants fans. And it's just grown and grown and snowballed and snowballed. And it's become the largest Giants fan community in Europe. And we are now, you know, we we deal with the team. We talk to the team. We are plugged into the team. And when the team came over, it was us that they invited to to, to the Giants pub. It was us that got interviewed on Giants.com. It's, it's you know, getting on towards a thousand people in our Facebook group. And so we started a Twitter account as well. That's getting on towards 2,000 people following us on there. So... If you are a Giants fan, or even if you're just an NFL fan and you're just curious, if you want to get to know more about the sport, you want to connect with other fans, uh, look for, you know, at NYGiantsFansUK on Twitter. There is a link there to our Facebook page at Facebook.com, and it'll be at NYGiantsFansUK. Uh, you'll be able to find us. Uh, we talk football. That's all we do. We're very proud of the fact that, that we are not, we don't accept professional sellers into our group. We don't do negativity. We don't do swearing. We don't do bad language. We don't do abuse. We don't even take the mickey out of Tony Romo when he gets hurt. <laughs> uh, genuinely, because I don't, I don't think there's anything edifying about laughing at somebody getting injured. So we purely just talk football. And for that reason, we have fans from the US come into our NY Giants Fans UK community because they want to talk football and they want to get away perhaps from some negativity especially during the losing seasons. And we are fans of other teams. 
because it's just fun to be able to talk football. And if you're a Steelers fan, I've got a couple of Steelers fans and are friends of mine. They're in the group because they know they're not going to be abused. They're just here to talk football. Well, there you so go. It's been, it's been a tremendous thing to meet other Giants fans. Uh, special shout-out to, to Andy Robinson, who now helps me run the site uh, to Kevin McManus, who who runs our, our sort of our when we meet during the season at the Hippodrome Casino, to Daniel Eilert, who's just joined us also to help us with the admin on the site. It's been great to meet other fans. I mean, you were there at Twickenham. You Jer- saw how many other so, Giants fans. It was, it was crazy. Insane. I, when I came to take a photo of you guys getting, you know, having your big photo together, you there was a, like three German families I met in the space of a minute and there was a, there was a dad and his son uh, Pats fans and I had they had a I think it was a Giants group did you meet them as well they were giving out wristbands it was it was amazing yeah it was a German Giants there were the Swedish Giants we met at, at the at the Finery pub at the Giants pub which was a fantastic experience again uh, yeah there's Giants there's Giants fans everywhere because it's just a great team it's a great sport. You know, there's nothing special about Americans that means they're the only ones that can understand NFL. This is a great game. And if you put it in front of people in any country, they will become fans of it. And yeah. I think we proved that at Twickenham. China next for the NFL. Um, China next. Yeah, Mexico, yeah. <laughs> Canada, be... they're going to be easy wins. China next. China's a tough one, I've got to say. Uh Keith, thanks for your time. It was fun to talk, and I'm sure we'll have you on again uh, to talk more current affairs in the NFL, not just domestic violence. Thanks. It's it's always nice to talk to you. We'll talk soon. My thanks to Keith. Okay, here are the four things I want to talk about. I'm going to start with Phil Jackson's comments um, about LeBron James. I didn't uh, talk about this last week for some odd reason. If you don't know the context of it, Jackson had an interview with ESPN's Jackie McMullen um, about 10 days ago now. And he was talking about, bizarrely, at one point, the departure of LeBron James from Miami. Now, before we get into this, Mr. Jackson has to do his job, right? He he, run, he runs the Knicks, so run the damn Knicks and do it better. You're stuck in the 90s with your triangle offense. You've given $72 million to Joakim Noah, who is now a bench warmer. Um, but he's talking about James's uh, departure from Miami and his time in Miami, uh, referencing special treatment. When James played for Miami, he talked about uh, the trips they made to Cleveland, where LeBron would basically want to stay overnight because he had a house there. As everyone knows, he was born in Akron, Ohio. And Jackson's direct quote that everyone's been talking about was this. You can't hold up the whole team because you and your mum and your posse want to spend an extra night in Cleveland. I've not heard the word posse being used without the refrain towards African-Americans or it being, in a way racist i don't think we use the term posse to describe let's say for instance now influential white businessmen i think it's always got racial undertones and that's why i'm uncomfortable with it but on the surface of this it doesn't look like much now what jackson is referring to is james's business group longtime friend maverick carter who oversees all the entertainment aspects of james's off-court interests you've got rich paul who's his agent he also looks after ben simmons And then Randy Mims, who takes care of security and and works with the Cavs. This business group is now worth a billion dollars. And when James came into the league as a teenager, everyone was crying to LeBron saying, you have to make sure you sign with a professional agent. But LeBron didn't do that. He trusted his friends, people he's grown up with. And on the evidence of everything out, everything, it's a success. It was a good decision because James has got a lifetime deal with Nike. He's one of the biggest athletes in the world. He's got a film company very successful individual and what he's decided to do was good and what Jackson did was decry that you know decry that I think James said he lost respect for Jackson all respect he had like I said to you first glance I didn't think much of this but then it unfolded completely Maverick Carter I think was um, disrespected because he is essentially saying we are legitimate businessmen which they are and this became really interesting when James said you can only imagine what Jackson says off the camera. Now, there you go. That's your quote. He is insinuating that Phil Jackson is a racist. Now, you're asking that question, right? He certainly used the wrong word. He certainly was very unfair to this business group. I don't think he is a racist, but what he is saying is not with the times. Jackson's a bit older. than He's in his 70s, but you can't use age as a defense for racism. What you can use age for a defense of is 
Jackson not being, you know, he's but from a different time. Maybe he uses that word in a different meaning to what we sh- what we do now. But he has to understand that the word posse, especially when you're talking about four successful African Americans, it just doesn't work like that. Would he say that about you know JJ Reddick's business group? I'm going to guess he'd say business group, business partners, or you know anything like that. So I was uncomfortable once once James said that. And it's going to be very uncomfortable when Cleveland play New York. Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James' best friend, supports the Black Lives Matter movement. Phil Jackson is the president of the Knicks. Melo is their superstar. And Melo came out and said, look, Jackson probably did the wrong thing. He, it was, he, he was right to do that, Melo, because he had to defend LeBron. He really, it doesn't matter that he plays for the Knicks. He has to stand up for LeBron James because what Jackson did say was wrong. And people uh, should understand and and go back to when LeBron came into the league, Phil Jackson had a book out and he referenced, he referred to LeBron's team back then as a posse. He was talking about how 19-year-olds come into the league and they become very dependent on posses. He's still saying this 13 years later, 14 years later. I'm, I'm just... I think it's gonna go, it's gonna blow over like the Colin Kaepernick situation did, but it might resurface when the Knicks play the Cavs. Is Phil Jackson racist? I don't think so. Was it unfair? Yes. This was a slight to James's team, and like I said, run the Knicks. Why are you talking about Cleveland, Miami, Dwayne Wade's departure from Miami this off season? Don't need to talk about any of that. You definitely don't need to say the word posse. You need to run the Knicks. Number two, and last week we had a showdown between Philadelphia and Minnesota in the NBA. The Timberwolves were successful in that one. And there was a lot of talk about who would be the next genuine superstar around the league. Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, obviously on the Timberwolves. And then you have Joel Embiid for the Sixers, who I've really, really enjoyed watching this season. But another guy that you don't hear enough of about, maybe because he's Latvian, I don't know, Kristaps Porzingis needs to be involved in that conversation. Looking at those first three, Cat, Carl Anthony Towns, just turned 21, Wiggins is the same age, and Embiid is 22. For me, when I look at it on the surface, Wiggins and Embiid have the unique offense and defensive talent. Carl Anthony Towns will give you 20 points, 10 rebounds. His work ethic is insane. He's got the best coach to get everything out of him possible in Tom Thibodeau. Um, but Wiggins and, uh, Wiggins and Embiid have that flashiness. You know, they have... Um, they have that footwork. They have the ability to play defense and offense, shoot the three, get to the basket. Embiid is lighting up Philadelphia. That crowd is so ridiculous. Every time he catches the ball on the three-point line, the cheers go up. They want him to shoot the ball. Just looks odd having such a, a tall guy shoot the three. Um, and, it, and it's going down successfully. And if, if Simmons can get back healthy, that's the really intriguing part of this, is to have those two playing together because that's what everyone wants to see now but I have this funny feeling that Embiid is going to get hurt again um, which is not unlikely Wiggins I think he gets underappreciated at times because Carl Anthony Towns is is always putting up the numbers he's very consistent and he was the number one pick of course but Wiggins before that remember is still the number one still a number one pick uh, and he's got that flashiness. But Paul Zingis, back to him quickly. He's putting up numbers this season, um, really bettering last year. He had a great rookie campaign. He averaged 14.3 points a game last year. That's up to 20.2 this season. His rebounds are around the same, 7.2. His turnovers are down. His three-point percentage has gone from 33% to 39. His field goal percentage is up eight points from 42 to 50. And the Knicks are currently in a playoff spot. You know, they had a big meeting last Saturday. Uh, a lot about their defensive issues and getting things out on the on the table. I think Jackson was there too. I'd like to see if Melo spoke to Jackson off the record, uh, well, out of that meeting about what he said about LeBron. But Paul Zingas, even his minutes are up. He's, his minutes are f- four more minutes a game than last season. And, you know, there's that second season syndrome. Certainly Kristaps at the moment isn't suffering that. He had a He hit the rookie wall at the end of last season. But he's a seven-foot-three guy playing like he's a foot smaller. Melo is in awe of him and what he does on the court. He has such a grace about him. Looks like a stick, moves so gracefully, so fluidly. He's studied Dirk Nowitzki. Um, He's living with his brother in New York. He does everything the right way. He's ignored the noise. He ignored the boos when he was drafted fourth last season, which, by the way, was probably Phil Jackson's only good decision since being there with the Knicks. He ignored that. 
He lives in New York. No, so many distractions he could, you know, he's got past that. Um, he's proved himself. He really has. And when Derek Rose came in to go aside Carmelo and then Kristaps Porzingis, the question was, would that take away or aid Porzingis? Well, right now, they understand that Porzingis is close to taking this team on as his own. It's nearly not Carmelo Anthony's team anymore. Scott Brooks, the Washington Wizards coach, said he will be one of the best players in the league very soon. I think he's already there. This guy high-fives fans on the way down the court when the team is still playing, when the, when the game is going on. Special player, special personality. I think he needs, to be, he needs to be mentioned a lot more alongside the lights of Towns, Wiggins and Embiid, who have done great things. Embiid's come in, shown some signs of being a real superstar if he can stay healthy, but he's only done that for three or four weeks. Chris Dapp's two seasons now. He's on his, in his second year, proving a very, very good player. And uh, I hope it continues. Only 21 years of age. So here's a question. Do I trust LA Clippers? They've started 13-2 and two as I speak. Uh, tonight, they're going to be playing the Dallas Mavericks, who are 2-11. and 11. So question, the answer to that question could be, no, I do not trust the Clippers uh, if I wake up tomorrow and see the result. But there's a... A slightly different feeling about this team this year. Since 2011, that's the year when Chris Paul joined this team, they haven't gotten past the second round. They had that disastrous series against the Houston Rockets where they were 3-1 up, managed to lose it 4-3 a couple of seasons ago. What I've seen so far this season, Blake Griffin is altogether a different player. I think when he came into the league, he was overrated, missed his whole rookie season, but now I think he's underrated. He has clearly worked on his jump shot from deeper. He can shoot the deep two. He almost could be a threat from three. I think if he can establish that as a, a real asset in his game, he's an all-around player completely. Um, he's got that move at the moment where he'll drive to his left on a defender, use the spin move and finish with the layup. He can dunk. He's got great chemistry with Chris Paul. And this team, for all its chemistry issues down the last years, I think Chris Paul has rubbed off slightly now on Blake and DeAndre, who were considered more of the fun guys. You know, they mess around a little bit more. Chris Paul has always had that very stern, serious personality. I think Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, who we saw a lot with Team USA this summer, likes to have a bit of a joke and a laugh. Chris Paul's personality has rubbed off on those two a bit more, where we're now talking about this Clippers team as a serious contender, not a team who are going to win 55 games and then do nothing in the playoffs. Doc Rivers, another one who has faced criticisms for the way he's constructed this team because he's also working as a president GM kind of guy. Um, But he's brought in Raymond Felton, veteran point guard, who, you know, is going to knock a few threes down during a game. He's got to pick his spots, get things right, handle the offense like a veteran should. Maurice Spates, another one who's won a championship in Golden State. He's got that funny persona about him, that swagger. He comes on and he shoots the deep ball. He has a bit of fun. It looks like he's enjoying his basketball. But he's also a strong guy to have on that team, someone who's won in previous situations with a lot of experience. Jamal Crawford is still Jamal Crawford. J.J. Redick is one of the most improved players since being drafted by the Magic. Uh, so, you you know, even Luke Mbouamute starting small forward, they seem to be getting him involved in the offense a lot more this season. He's shooting the three well. He just seems to be more confident. You basically have, uh, usually, you know, a, a starting five plus Jamal Crawford. Well, last season it was even that minus Mbuamute. So now you've got a legitimate two sets of five. So if you look at that bench, you could have Crawford with either Rivers or Felton, Wesley Johnson, Marie Spates, and then maybe Brandon Bass. You've got a challenging second five there and that's what the Clippers need if they're going to go for a deep run in the postseason do I think they'll be better than the Warriors after 82 games probably not the Warriors are in a feeling out process this Clippers team has been together for a long time but it is about time they made some noise need to keep winning in the Western Conference win games they certainly should and then challenge the big guns I am waiting for a Warriors Clippers series I'm looking forward to the first time they meet this season um, but the Clippers look the real deal at the moment, and, and you've really got to keep tabs on Blake Griffin, who's a free agent at the end of the season, and he's having quite a year. And finally today, extra points in the NFL are proving quite the entertainment at the moment. The NFL, must like the rule change of having the extra point not being a 
a complete guarantee anymore. It's a 33-yard field goal, essentially. And on Sunday, kickers missed 12 extra points last week. That was week 11, um, which is four more than they missed for the entire 2014 regular season. That's a crazy stat. That's the last year that the team kicked the short point after attempts was 2014. Um, with the ball snapped from the two-yard line. Now it's snapped from, uh, snapped, sorry, from the 15-yard line. Uh, it was an attempt to make the kick a more competitive play. Um, like I said, it's basically now a 33-yard field goal. And if kickers are missing those regularly, you know, they need to go and find an, a new job because they are getting... It's almost like the, uh, the Minnesota kicker, Blair Walsh, who's now no longer there. You know, it's like the Blair Walsh syndrome, if you will. Like, he had that... A horrible miss against Seattle in the playoffs last season, which meant the Vikings were out. And that's carried on to this year, and he's seen his job being lost. Uh, one of the theories is that the the point after try was so easy, 2014 and before that, that you know you'd it would almost be a act as a warm up for kickers, so they could come onto the field, you know, get loose. They can do as many practice kicks on the side as they want, but they come into a game with the pressure not really on, but it's still on. They kick this gimme kick and they're ready for the field goal when they do have to kick a field goal, which is further back. Now, even though it's an extra point, that is that is the pressure in itself. This is only worth one point, but I have to take it from the 33-yard line. It used to be an automatic play. Over 99% of them were made in each of the last four seasons the kick was a short one. Now the percentage is around 94. Uh, that means it's not a gimme anymore. It's a competitive play. And also the NFL must be happy with all the talk of ratings at the moment because people at home will stay attuned to their TVs to watch the extra point because it is an interesting play. Not only will the kicker either hit it or miss it, you've also got the new rule where the return, the, the, the uh, blocking team can return it for a, a score, a two-point score. Look at the Denver-New Orleans game the other week where the Broncos blocked the kick, went took it back to the house for some points and it ended up being the difference in the game. That makes it more interesting too. I understand that def- defenses were trying to block the kick anyway when it was a short kick. It was still the, the objective was still the same, um, but there are so many different things that can go wrong now. And I think most people would want to see the rule stay in place as it is. So it's a positive change in the end. But that is bad. If you've got twelve point extra points missed, four more than the entire season two years ago, and there's going to have to be a bigger pool of kickers. Because a lot of teams are going to be looking for people to come in and replace the uh, the existing kickers if it goes on like that. But love the rule change. Uh, it's having a real effect on, on how we watch the NFL. Certainly interesting. There you go. The four things I wanted to talk about this week. Phil Jackson, Chris Tapps-Porzingis, the LA Clippers, and the extra point in the NFL. All very different there. Uh, you can follow the podcast, the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle, on Audio Boom. It's got the official page there you can go to itunes and download it subscribe on there and please leave a review if you so wish and you can get in touch with me on twitter at max underscore whittle you can check out my work at the guardian sports illustrated and give me sport until next time thank you for listening and have a good week enjoy the games With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.